You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 5, The Artist Roundtable, Part 3. In this third and final segment of The Artist Roundtable on mental health, my conversation with singer-songwriter John Mark McMillan and author-illustrator Vesper Stamper leads us to neo-monasticism, the worship of youth culture, art as a means of therapy, and making sense of the darker parts of our existence. Questions we discuss in this episode include what is true success, what is true connection, and should we share every work of art that we make? If you'd like to be a part of these and other discussions on art, faith, and the creative process, you can join our online collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics or see the show notes of this episode. I think it's interesting that we that this conversation of like art versus the artist went in the direction of personal mental health of the artist because usually when we talk about art versus artist we're talking about can you separate uh Hemingway from his writings you know mm-hmm. and what that winds up veering into is our current situation where artists are expected to not only be great geniuses, but also have moral perfection in the moment as they're creating or their works get canceled and don't get to see the light of day. Mm. And we're living in a, in a moment that's really untenable because you can't see the entire trajectory of an artist's life and how, you know, what's going to be written about them at the end of the day in the grand analysis. Mm. But I think that, this is the conversation that needs to be had before that because the artist themselves needs to be able to separate themselves from their art. Mm. And that's hard because you guys probably feel the same way that I do that art is everything. It's like, it's the way that I see the world. It's the way that I, it affects the way I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed at night and, you know, what I have for breakfast and how I'm going to structure my day and the the things I think about philosophically and all of this. Mm-hmm. But getting back to the subject of identity, if we don't have a, a good foundation starting point for understanding who we are as human beings first, then we're never going to be able to untangle that, that knot, that Gordian knot, you know, of like, what is the art and what is the artist? Well, the artist at the end of the day is just a human being with needs just like any other human being and relationships and the need to provide for, you know, for their household and things like that. You know, we're just human beings. That's good. I love what you said that the artist must be able to separate themselves Mm -hmm. from their art. And I think there's a healthy relationship that can be had there. And I know even in my own experience, that's, that's what I've been doing for the past years. I've, I've, there's been a measure of distance between so many of the things that I've done, but there's also been a growth that I feel like can now hold and contain the art that is a part of my life in such a way that I think it'll be much healthier, a much healthier expression. Mm-hmm. Vesper, when you were talking earlier about monastic practices and how foreign it is in some ways to the pace of our culture and our cultural experience, but yet at the same time, 
there's so much beautiful, what would you call it, neo-monasticism or <laughs> just some, some sort of uh, urban monasticism maybe uh, that's starting to crop up more and more. And, and so for me, uh, who has kind of championed this whole conversation about the maker and the mystic, I think that some of the monastic practices have a real key role in our lives as it relates to rooting our identity in something deeper than our art, but also giving us uh, a greater understanding of our identity and how it fits into the bigger picture. So I don't know, I think that's something something to explore as well, whether it's practices like centering prayer or silence or just turning the dang phone off for a day or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I think there's a real key to be discovered there between some of the monastic practices and mental health. I, I want to say something to that, that, and I, this is me speaking as someone who I see my life as very disordered from where the, the place I want it to go. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. monastic, um, monastic practice or centering prayer or, you know, any of these practices, they're not just something that can be pasted onto our lives. Yes. They're not just something that we can add on like as, as an upgrade or, mm-hmm. you know, to our already busy lives. It's like, okay, yes, you can say, I'm just going to turn my phone off for this certain period of time, but you have to have an end goal. You know, you, you can't understand the journey if you don't understand the just the destination. Mm-hmm. Right. So if your only goal is like, Oh, you know, I feel too scattered. I'm going to put my phone down. That's not going to be enough to sustain you for the long haul. Mm-hmm. But if your goal is, I want to become a fully integrated artist who can do this for decades and who's going to die with a paintbrush in my hand, you know, <laughs> still making art when I'm, when I'm elderly and be able to pour into other artists and, okay, well, what is that going to ask of me today? And what is that going to ask of me this year? Mm-hmm. What, what kinds of changes am I going to need to make? Um, a, a few years ago for me, that was dumping Facebook and Twitter you know, making a sort of radical shift for somebody in my position who, you know, as an illustrator and an author, those are two spaces that were um, considered essential. And I just decided mm-hmm. I care more about my, my my ability to think as an artist and to, you know, live a life of growth and discovery than I do the day-to-day mundane, you know, interactions that I'm having with total strangers who don't know me. <laughs> You know, so I just think it's, it's really about having a vision, you know, and sometimes it can be a radical vision and that can be a really good thing. It doesn't mean that you, you know, try to eat the whole elephant at once, but that as long as you have a vision for where you're going, Mm-hmm. then the choices that you make will, they'll lay themselves out, obviously. I know. I think it's really good to, and and most of us don't do this early on, like, to be able to articulate what success means to us because we're handed these ideas of success. And when you live, who was it who said the most effective prison is the one you don't know you're in? Wow. Right. And we're handed these ideas of success um, really without even realizing it. And so I think it's really great to be able to articulate, well, this is what I think success is. This is what I want. Because I think a lot of people who want this um, celebrity life and this, um, you, you know, want this thing, I don't think they really want it. 
I don't think they've ever really stopped to think about what it is they're they're trying to do. Right. This is <laughs> this reminds me of the the book The Hobbit. Is uh, you know the the dwarves came to uh, Bilbo and Gandalf brought them there, and his job was to go, you know, steal something and help them, you know. But their goal was they're gonna um, they're gonna take back the mountain that the dragon had taken, you know. And it's um, uh, what, what's the what's the the king's uh, great grandfather was the king under the mountain and all this gold and this these glory days. They're gonna go back and take it. And they they went through all these adventures to get there and almost died and they never thought they would and they actually got there and even in the book Bilbo says you know I don't they never did talk about how they were going to deal with the dragon <laughs> right they never really talked about what they were going to do with the dragon it's like there was so much emphasis in getting to the 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 mountain where you know that they. They really didn't, and even Bilbo said this was a. This, there's uh, what, what is the word he used? <laughs> Almost like, you know, this was like a. This is like a hole in the plot here. Like Bilbo was like, Tolkien was almost saying like, yeah, there's a hole in the plot here, and I know it, and it's on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and and yeah. we don't often think about if you catch a dragon, what are you gonna do with it? Mm-hmm. You know, we're just so focused on catching the dragon that we just a lot of us don't really think about what we're going to do <laughs> if <laughs> if we get yes. it you know but i guess that back to my point like what is success for you you know catching the dragon may not really be success mm-hmm. that may not be the kind of success that you ever really wanted but for some reason you were sold this bill of goods that that is what made you matter in the world mm-hmm. mm. steven i remember you saying that you had this, the 27 club, was that it? Right. Yeah. 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 That if you didn't hit it by the time you were 27, it was all over. Totally. I had the same oh, yeah. thing. I had the same, it was, for me, it me was, if it, if it doesn't work out by 30, you know, I've failed. Yeah. Who gives us that idea? Where does that come from? It's youth culture. It's the worship of youth. Yeah. You know, um, and it's, the, it's the thought that the young are the only ones with good ideas you know, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones with new ideas maybe, but they haven't been tested and tried. And, you know, 90% of them will probably fail uh, until they, <laughs> you know, but it, and that's good. And they, and they should fail and they should, you know, mm-hmm. learn from that and move on. But that's not what I wanted to say. I had a friend who redefined the def- the definition of success for me a few years ago. And she said, uh, this was another illustrator. And she said, I don't define my success by how many book contracts I get my definition of success is how many submissions I make per week, because that's something I'm in control of. I can send out 10 submissions a week and the outcome is not up to me. And she's at complete peace. She knows that she's done her job. Like her job definition is very, her job description is very well-defined, you know? And I find that really helpful. That really helped me contextualize my own work because I had my big break with my first novel and it was one of the loneliest experiences of my life. Mm. And nobody was there to celebrate with me. Wow. Because I had mm. isolated myself for so many years in the pursuit of that that big break, that one opportunity that first yeah. of all I I 
completely discounted all the other things that I had done for the previous 15 years as though they never happened. Right. But, but plenty was happening. Plenty. It's just that I was so like myopic about that one big break. And then when it happened, I had no relationships intact to be able to celebrate with me. It was awful. Well, let's make up for that. Oh. Let's uh, let's celebrate that big break in retrospect. But <laughs> it's interesting. You're talking about isolation again, mm-hmm. and and I can't help but think about again the the past couple of years of our lives in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and John Mark, you being a a, a touring musician, mm-hmm. man, I and you know, and I've I've experienced some of that in my own life as well but like for you that's that's your livelihood that's the that's what you've pursued i can only imagine the challenges that you faced when suddenly the world shut mm-hmm. down and and you found yourself yeah. isolated and you're getting ready to go on tour and and connect with thousands of people and then suddenly you're at home i mean translate that to our entire culture and to the entire world mm-hmm. it's it's no wonder that that isolation and mental illness and these things are or such a, you know, issue. Yep. Well, and it, and I mean, I'm a big fan of the internet and the, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of what you can accomplish and how you can connect. I mean, we all live in different cities and we're talking right now and this Mm -hmm. is beautiful, but it also tends to be like junk food connection. Well said. You know, like even tonight, like I grabbed a handful of Cheetos and my wife goes, those are very expensive empty calories right you realize like <laughs> there is nothing in your hand right now <laughs> yeah you know and uh and i think about social media tr- tr- can it can be good but it also can trick you into thinking that you're having a connection mm-hmm. when you're not having the type of connection that's going to sustain you mm-hmm. i wonder if that's a thing too for an artist i mean like I was uh, practicing for a show I did last week. We did a, a benefit show for Ukrainian refugees, and I had to put it together really fast. And I hadn't played my songs in a while, so I was rehearsing. And I like put the tracks on. You know, I have all the band tracks from the album, and I have the instrumental version. I just play and sing along with it, and it. You know, I, I lay out my set list, and I sing the whole show. Right, I sing the whole show, and uh, I got to one song I hadn't played in a while, and. I broke mm. down. I was like, mm. why, why am I having a hard time singing these words? It wasn't about the words themselves or even the subject matter of the song. I was like, oh, God, I love this so much. I love not saying, not that I love playing and practicing in my basement, but like I was playing and I was going to be playing mm. with my friends. We're going to be with people. I was like, I realized like, of all the things that I've done, all the things that I've tried to accomplish, I've made some money at times. I've, you know, I've done some cool things. There were times people, you know, called me cool names and said, acted like I did important things. There are other times people acted like I was an idiot. And maybe I'm likely I'm somewhere in between those two. Right. But, um, but I realized of everything that I've done, the most joy that I experience is in that moment making sounds with other human beings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like I've worked my way out of this equation. I've worked my way to where I get, I can tour less and play less 
and make more money. And I can make a living out of doing this less. And I was like, who why was that the goal? Why was it the goal to make more money mm. and play less? Like, I was like, I miss mm-hmm. playing. I miss showing up with those other bodies and us all making mm-hmm. sounds together. I just miss that connection. All that to say, I think for a lot of artists, is what they're looking yeah. for is connection. Yes. And they too may find a junk food type of connection in their work. Mm-hmm. I like what uh, Seth Godin says. He says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, don't try to be an artist. He's like, just make stuff and then mm-hmm. you are one. That's good. And, and falling in love with the work in a good way, not in who the work makes you or who you become through the work, but falling in love with the work, I think is one of the healthiest things that you can do as an artist. Because then you will produce wonderful stuff or the best stuff that you're capable of but it's not about who you're becoming it's it's about showing up and finding joy in the moment in in what you're making and making the world a better place more beautiful place more interesting and meaningful place you know and not about making you a more beautiful you a more meaningful you a more wonderful appearing Mm -hmm. you to other people and i had this thought Actually, and I actually think this idea can make you more successful at the same time. Because I think too many young artists ask themselves the wrong question. They ask themselves, what can I get from what I create? Mm. What can my work do for me? Instead of asking, how can my work make somebody's life better? Yeah, very good. Not saying you conform to what's expected of you, but make what you make and ask yourself, how does this make someone's life better? Mm -hmm. If it's just making your life better, then you sort of have to question like, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. You know, especially musicians, they're all trying to make it and it's so hard to make it. And I hear them complain all the time. It's like, why don't you just stop and say, how does my music make someone else's life, life better? How does my music make someone else's life better? Anyone, a single person, it doesn't have to be a million people, but can you can you articulate how what you do uh, benefits anybody but you? And if you can articulate that, then figure out how to connect with those people. And if you're right, if it does make their life better, then if you can connect with those people, then maybe you can have a career, you know? But I think that's a healthy, I think that's a healthy way to be an artist. And that's what we want. Let's be yeah. let's be healthy artists. Yeah. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, mm-hmm. socially, culturally. <laughs> let's be healthy artists. What do you say? <laughs> I say there's nothing wrong yes. with that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I want to bring up one other aspect of art and mental health, and that is art as a means of therapy or art as a means by which the artist can work through trauma. And I'm thinking specifically of the Japanese artist, Yayoi Kusama. And um, she's someone who had an incredibly traumatic childhood and she attempted suicide um, maybe even multiple times. I'm, I'm not super familiar with her story, but I know that she ended up checking herself into basically an insane asylum, but she made sure that it was one that advocated for art therapy and 
she just ended up drawing thousands upon thousands of polka dots, thousands upon thousands of polka dots. And through her creative process, she said, I transformed my trauma into art. And so that's a different take on this relationship between art and mental health. Not so much that the genius and the madness, you have to be a little crazy to create anything good, but flipping that on its head, that it was actually the creative process that helped her deal with her own trauma. And uh, what's pretty amazing now is I think she's like 93 years old and she's become one of the most famous female artists uh, in the world. I think that art is an incredibly important part of our processing of our of our mental health and you know like i said it's it's our way of making sense of our existence right and sometimes parts of our existence are very dark and some of us you know do have trauma and it's very important and and thank goodness we have the ability to work it out through our art it's vital i guess i would just say that there's a difference between the process of that therapy and the final product that we give to our viewers, our readers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure. there's plenty that we work out um, through our work that should never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think, you know, I've said this before too, that artists, a, a lot of artists have, just because of the way that the world works, we've lost touch with with the process. And we think that everything that we make has to be shared. And that's just not the case. In fact, I frequently say about 90% of what we make should never be shared. It should, it should go in a drawer. It should be in a sketchbook. It should be in a journal. Um, it should be the song that you only sing when you're alone, you know, because it's, it's a part of your process. Maybe it's not fully worked out yet. And, you know, I work for young people. I work for minors, (laughs) you know, I work for other people's children. I'm very, very aware of that and cautious about that. It doesn't mean that I don't go to troubling places in my work. But the one thing I keep in my mind is that my readers are not my therapists. I do not get to take out my trauma on my readers. And especially when we're talking about children. And this is something that I will I will fall on this sword every time that writers in my genre, whether it's young adult, whether it's people who, anybody who writes for children, they're not your children. They're other people's children. And you are you are not the parent, you're not in the you're not in that home. Just like any artist is not in the home of the person who is maybe like sitting alone listening to their music right? Of course, we don't have control over how other people receive that. But we have to be aware that we are creating for other people, other human beings, just like us, who are going to have to process that at the end of the day. And so even if we're dealing with troubling material, at least having that capacity to recognize that that, that our, our readers are not our therapists, our therapists are our therapists, and thank God for them. Um, but they are the ones mm-hmm. that help us to, in healthy ways, to to work through those processes and to uh, and to do that through our art, which is totally valid and important. 
like I said. Well, even I thought recently, like, and uh, I have so many good friends and close friends that I can be totally open with and share things with. And I will share some of my, you know, uh, most difficult things with my close friends. But your close friends are not your therapist either. Mm. Right. They, they're not meant to carry the full mm. weight of what it is. You're neither going is your spouse. Yes. And neither is your spouse. And so therapist is wonderful for that because, because they're not emotionally connected to you. I think legally you're not, they're not even supposed to have a, a friendship relationship to you. And it's healthy because they can take on a lot of the weight and then they can just walk out of the room when they're done, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so I love what you said about your audience isn't, it's not your therapist and, you know, you can make a lot of meaningful connection and you can create a lot of momentum and you can get a lot of attention for being vulnerable in your work. And I think that's important, but the attention you get for being vulnerable is not the same attention that you get for being a train wreck. Mm -hmm. Right. right. And I see people online. I was like, y- you realize you've crossed the line from like, when you're vulnerable, what happens is people identify with you and you can have connection with them through that vulnerability. When you move into train wreck land, they're not identifying with you. They just can't turn. They just can't look yeah. away. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes really, really unhealthy. And so I do think that art can help with trauma. I, I think, and I'm not a therapist, so this is just my opinion and maybe some things that I read at some point, but Trauma, I think the word trauma is a little bit overused today. Definitely. Mm -hmm. The word trauma, I think, technically means it's unresolved conflict that sets into the body. And the word trigger is another word that's overused. But a trigger is when your unresolved conflict is brought back to life by things that remind you or specifically remind your body. Like, think about smells. Like, I had a girl that I liked in you know, like junior high and occasionally, and occasionally I'll smell a smell that was like her perfume. I was like, how is it after all these years? I remember that whatever relationship, if you even want to call it that, not in a good or bad way, just like, wow, all those memories just came back. And at first you're like, not even sure. What is that? You feel these feelings because of a smell. A song is the same thing. You hear a song, all of a sudden you start feeling feelings before you can even articulate what those feelings are. It's because those feelings are enlarged. Those memories are enlarged in your body. And that's what trauma is, right? It's unresolved conflict that's been lodged in the body, I think. That's what I think that's basically what it is. So through art, you can confront those feelings. You can confront that conflict. You can resolve the conflict mm-hmm. through your work. And I, I did that early on. What's really interesting is I wrote songs and nobody cared. And I went through a very difficult period of time. And I wrote songs from that place, processing my trauma, though I wasn't dumping my trauma on other people. But I was writing songs that helped me confront some of those things. And then people really started to care. Mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't understand why. I think it was because I became sort of honest with myself and people identified with that vulnerability. But mm-hmm. there is a point where you move from vulnerability into train wreck Mm. where it's incredibly (laughs) unhealthy where you're not really confronting your trauma in a way that helps you more you're reinforcing it by saying 
I'm justified. I shouldn't have to confront this. I shouldn't have to deal with it. See how I was hurt? See how I was a victim? See what I went through? Do you see me? See me? You better see me. I'm going to shock you. I'm going to throw this at you. I'm going to say this thing. I'm going to say something that's offensive. And it's like, you're not actually confronting the conflict that's created the trauma. It actually becomes an avoidance mechanism where you're actually using that train wreck, um, those train wreck type of expressions to avoid actually dealing with the conflict. Right. And, and then what happens is that the attention that you get, you know, it injects a little bit of dopamine, you know, mm-hmm. and it almost addicts you to that, to the trauma instead of working through it, metabolizing it. And then if you try to create work from that, and you're always trying to go back to that place of, oh, well, people liked when I talked about this, you know, it, it got me some attention, it got me some kudos, you know, then the work that you're going to make from that is always going to be half-baked because it's not fully metabolized and you haven't learned how to really make art out of it. You've learned how to use it as therapy. You've learned how to use your skill or whatever to get it down on the page somehow or to get it through your voice, but you haven't made it, you haven't crafted it into art yet. And I think that our, you know, our viewers, our listeners, our readers, you know, they deserve more than that because if what you were saying before John Mark is like, you know, how does this benefit somebody else? If your goal is, Hey, I know that there are a lot of people out there who have been through what I've been through. I would really like to help them help give them some Mm -hmm. tools to emerge out of that healthier, Mm -hmm. you know, then, then sometimes that does mean like, I want to help people acknowledge what happened to them and know Mm -hmm. that I, you know, that they're seen and that there's a place to go with that. Mm -hmm. But if you have not at least begun the process or know what it feels like, to work through something like that, you know, help hopefully under the care of, of a professional who knows what they're doing, then the result is going to be half-baked. And mm-hmm. another thing that I, I, I wanted to recommend is confession. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not just therapy, but there, you know, there are also structures that exist for things like confession, whether it's sin that's been done to you or sin that you've committed. Um, not that, not that you're confessing the sins of others. That's not what I'm saying. Like you don't take their sin on, but having somewhere to go with that, that isn't a judgmental space. And that isn't about trying to fix the problem, but is about, okay, I've heard you. And now here's how you're going to move forward. You know, the, the, the confessor will often, you know, even if it's a spiritual director or a, a pastor or somebody who you trust, you know, with that kind of process and information will often j- give you just a, a practical thing to do, whether it's saying a certain prayer or whether it's making amends with somebody, just having somewhere to go with the pain. It doesn't, you know, therapy is great and everything, but sometimes these things are, are soul issues you know, they're not just mental. They're not just in the brain. They're in the soul and they're in the body and they need a place to go. So confession. Mm, I love that. And, and what you were saying just a minute ago too, I had this thought. If we, if when we're young, we're tempted to identify ourselves as our art. And 
we get this response, this dopamine hit from uh, communicating trauma, then what happens when your trauma is your identity? Mm. You know, you get famous or you get popular, you get opportunities because you have embodied or um, projected or given a voice to your trauma, not in a way that heals, but yeah. then are you your trauma, you know? Right. That's got to be an unhealthy, a super unhealthy place. Can you imagine? Well, I, I know for me, even super early on in my faith journey, I asked the question, what of the poet who's been healed? Mm-hmm. And at that point, for me, there was no art that was not rooted in despair or trauma mm-hmm. or any of the negative things. And I, I, I didn't know what art from a more positive experience mm-hmm. was. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it existed beyond Hallmark cards, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and that has been a large part of my journey is embracing the full range of human emotion through art and and not identifying by one particular expression but allowing all of those things to pass freely through me as i as i experience them you know but for me mm-hmm. i did that for a long time i it, or super early on I was in a death metal band, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's pre-hippie days, but like that was it. Is 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 trauma and art were were one expression and there was a bit of false identity that that got wrapped up in yeah. that. And, I mean, conflict is always with us, right? Conflict and I think every every story, there's no story without conflict. Right. A story without conflict is is a is an event, right? It's a list. And even music is tension and release that mimics conflict in story. And so, you know, that's some of the like pushback and sort of the Christian side, we're not allowed to have conflict. It's like, there's no story here, y'all, because you don't let me have any conflict. And so conflict is always going to be there, but trauma and conflict are not the same. And that's another thing I wish I could hammer on with young people. talk about trauma all the time. Like, what you're going through is not trauma. What you're going through right now is conflict. And trauma is not good. You need to get healed from trauma, but you will never escape conflict because <laughs> that is what it means to be human. That's good. Right? Conflict is the Frank's hot sauce. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you put that bleep on everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that uh, a great practical suggestion I would also give um, that really helped me was reading the Psalms daily. Hmm. Just waking up in the morning, or it could be at night, whenever keeping the Psalms next to my bed, reading one a day. Because talk about a place where you get the full range of human emotion, including making trauma your identity, the the self-pity, you know, all of those, it's all in there. But then the rejoicing and the the triumph and the working through and the the despair and, you know, all of it, it's all there. Mm -hmm. And just to understand, I think for the artist, but for anybody, that the full range of human emotions is normal. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. how we channel them and what we do with them that makes us who we are. But every we nobody gets out of this human experience without all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really important to to recognize because artists. You know, we think that we're singular and that nobody's ever had this experience before, and it's like no, it's just the human condition, honey. 
<laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Thank you.